Welcome to Gestational Diabetes Club. I'm your host, Helena, dietitian, nutritionist, vegetable enthusiast, and big fan of strong coffee and dark chocolate. Join me here each week to chat about all things gestational diabetes. We'll cover everything you need to know about your nutrition, lifestyle, and all the messy bits in between so that you can feel empowered to optimize your blood sugar, grow a healthy baby, and create sustainable healthy habits to last a whole lifetime without the stress, overwhelm, guilt, or confusion. Thanks so much for joining me, and I hope you love it here. Hello, welcome back. Now, today we are talking all about sleep, and this just feels really timely for me at the moment because so many of my clients are really struggling with sleep right now. So if you've clicked on this episode and you're also struggling with sleep at the moment, first things first, please know that you are really not alone. And this is actually such an important conversation for us. If you don't know, then you need to know that sleep has a really major impact on all sorts of aspects of our overall well-being. And now today I'll mostly be talking about sleep from the perspective of your blood sugar regulation and insulin resistance, but please consider that it is just such an important factor aside from that on so many things. So, you know, just how you show up day to day, your daily functioning. And then, like I said before, there are so many flow on effects on all aspects of your health and well-being. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the research around sleep and insulin resistance and its effects on our health. And then of course, at the end, I'll give you some tips so that hopefully you can start sleeping a little bit better if you are feeling really challenged in that area at the moment. And I just, I know that this is a topic that so many of us can relate to. There's always going to be a period of time in our lives where sleep is just not as optimal as it could be. And it can just feel so tough when you're in the middle of it. It can just feel like it's never going to end and it feels like you'll never get out of it. It can start disrupting everything. So I really just want to acknowledge that it can be really hard and also that you could be doing all of the right things and still be having a really rubbish sleep. So don't think that in this episode, I'm suggesting you should be able to fix everything everything with lifestyle changes. I know that there are just sometimes things that are totally outside of your control and yeah, it sucks. But let's start off by putting things into context a bit. So it's actually been recorded that about 30% of pregnant women are sleeping less than seven hours per night. And now that is considered a poor sleep duration. So it's not a very long time. So that's quite a high number. That is like one third of the pregnant population getting a really poor amount of sleep. And of course, there's so many things that are working against you whilst you're pregnant. And I'm sure you're well aware of that. So let's talk through some of them. Now, firstly, you've got some potential hormonal impacts. So there's progesterone and estrogen, and they seem to have some pros and some cons, to be honest. I'm not going to go into huge amounts of detail about them because it's probably not that relevant. But it does seem like they play a role in affecting your sleep. And then there's things like the positioning of your baby on your diaphragm, which can affect things that might make it harder to actually breathe when you're lying down. And you might have more difficulties with sleep apnea, especially if that's something that you were already struggling with. And during pregnancy, that might be exacerbated or it might be something new that you're dealing with, with which can have a profound impact on your sleep quality. Then there's some other fun stuff like needing to pee all the time, again, from the positioning of your baby and some of those circulating hormones. 
So that's really hard when you feel like you need to wake up multiple times per night. And similarly, if you've got other toddlers or babies in your household and you need to wake up all the time to tend to them, and if they're having a really hard time sleeping, you're probably having a really hard time sleeping as well. And that goes for anything. Maybe you don't have other kids in the house, but you could be looking after pets or other people who need care or just anything that needs your attention overnight. That can be really challenging. And you might just be feeling really uncomfortable in your body. Your pregnant body is very different to your non-pregnant body. So it might be hard to find a position to sleep in that actually feels good. It might be painful and there might also be some symptoms going on like reflux or heartburn when you lie down. Or maybe you have something like restless legs or maybe you have like some itch that's just really bothering you. Um, Or maybe you've got a really busy mind. And you might be stressed out by everything. There's a lot going on when you're pregnant and especially if you're also dealing with gestational diabetes. I know that, you know, at the best of times, even when you're not pregnant, there can be just general life stresses like work, relationships, all those sorts of things that just come up and can really stress us out and then throw in pregnancy and GD into that then that can be a real recipe for just having a racing mind, which makes it very hard to fall asleep. You might have even developed something like depression. And of course, absolutely, I hope that you're seeking help and care if that is something that you're dealing with, but that might make it really hard to sleep too. Or by contrast, it might mean that you're sleeping a lot, which can also be detrimental. So there's just so many things that are potentially working against you whilst you're pregnant and it's just so important to acknowledge, like I said before, that some of these things are outside of your control and it does make it a little bit harder. So I just want to give you all of my support and just recognition that it is a hard situation. But of course, there are still some things that you can do about it. And there's also some lifestyle factors that can happen to all of us, whether we're pregnant or not, that can get in the way of getting good quality sleep as well. For example, I don't think that it's news to anybody that our screen time can have a negative impact on our sleep and particularly in how long it takes us to fall asleep when we are just scrolling and scrolling before bed. And I also read something that was quite interesting that indicated that not just scrolling before bed, but the total amount of screen time that we get throughout the day can also significantly impact our sleep quality. So that's something to bear in mind as well. And similarly to that, then there's the exposures of things like bright lights at night, which can impact our circadian rhythms and our biological clock. And it just doesn't really help our mind relax if we're looking at screens and we're doing things. So, for example, if you're messaging people or you're trying to get some work done or you're watching something that's quite stimulating on TV, whatever it might be, those things are likely to keep you up because it does keep your mind busy. So there's lots of these sorts of lifestyle pressures that can get in the way. Now, in preparing for this podcast, I did a pretty deep dive into the relationship between sleep and pregnancy outcomes, and in particular, insulin and blood sugar metabolism. I won't take you through every single thing that I read because honestly, I'm such a geek and I could just research forever, especially when it's on an interesting topic like this one. And I honestly didn't expect to uncover as much evidence and literature as I did. So it was really, really interesting for me to see how strong the relationship actually is between poor sleep and some of these negative outcomes. And we have some really recent evidence around it. There's quite a number of systematic reviews and meta-analyses that have been done in the last couple of years. So I'm talking like 2022, 2021 and 2020 that all have looked at this association. 
And just as a really quick refresher, when I'm saying systematic review and meta-analysis, they are our highest levels of evidence. So these are the types of studies that pull together a whole array of smaller studies to synthesize the results and come out with a conclusion about what the body of research is indicating. So one of the most recent studies found that if pregnant women have a short sleep duration, which in the research was considered less than seven hours, and remember that stat, that 30% of pregnant women are likely to have seven hours or less of sleep per night, then they had a 1.8-fold risk of developing gestational diabetes. That's massive, being 1.8 times more likely to develop gestational diabetes just from having a shorter amount of sleep. So I thought that that was pretty flooring, and that's been substantiated by quite a lot of other research. There was another study in 2021 that found a similar thing, and they actually excluded women who were already at a high risk of gestational diabetes, as that might have skewed the results. And what they found was that having poor sleep quality was associated with higher scores on the oral glucose tolerance test at both one hours and two hours after taking that test drink, so that really high sugar drink. And just as a note, that sleep quality. So that's not always related to the duration of sleep. So they might have been getting enough sleep in total, but the quality was really poor. And that was usually assessed by a subjective analysis, like a questionnaire or something like that. So then we know that having poor sleep quality or having not enough sleep was associated with the increased risk of gestational diabetes. And there's also some other data suggesting that having sleep that is too long, so over nine hours generally, is associated with an increased risk of developing gestational diabetes too. So there's some of the key findings and a lot of what I was reading was really consistent with this. So there definitely seems to be an association between having a really short sleep or a really long sleep and some of those negative health outcomes in pregnancy. So not just gestational diabetes, also things like preeclampsia, needing to have a C-section, depression and preterm birth. So I think that's just fascinating and it's obviously not great news, but it does really highlight just how important it is to be making sure that you're getting adequate sleep. Now, I'm also mindful that we have to acknowledge that there are other factors that go into these sorts of outcomes that I'm talking about as well. Like we can't just pinpoint sleep as the one reason that you might have got gestational diabetes or that you needed a C-section or whatever other outcome it might be. But it is just fascinating to see that there's such a strong link. And it's one thing that is mostly within your control to be doing something about. And I think that that's actually a really positive thing to keep in mind. Now, I'm assuming that if you're listening to this, you've already got gestational diabetes. So you might be thinking, okay, great. So there was an increased risk of developing gestational diabetes with poor sleep, but I've actually already got it. But let's just think about what that research is actually telling us. It's likely telling us that the poor sleep is associated with exacerbated insulin resistance and worse handling of blood sugar. So that remains relevant whilst you've got that that diagnosis of gestational diabetes and then into the future as well. And I suppose they've probably based the research on whether people were diagnosed or met the cutoffs for gestational diabetes, as that's an easy way to be measuring an outcome, right? So it's not like that association becomes less relevant once you actually have the diagnosis. It's more relevant than ever. And before I go on, I also wanted to highlight that similar outcomes exist for non-pregnant people too. So there was a systematic review and meta-analysis in 2021, and this looked at the association between sleep and metabolic syndrome. 
Now, just a note that metabolic syndrome refers to the collection of metabolic disorders, including being in a higher body weight, hypertension, having high blood triglyceride levels, having low HDL cholesterol, which is our good cholesterol, and having hyperglycemia, which is high blood sugar. And I wanted to highlight that because if you have gestational diabetes at the moment, then you may well have some underlying insulin resistance and be more susceptible to developing type 2 diabetes and metabolic syndrome down the track. So it's really important to be optimizing your sleep, not just now, but also after you've had your baby, which I know might be much easier said than done once you've got a newborn in the house but still to be keeping it in mind for years down the track to really reduce your risk of developing these chronic diseases. So let's talk a little bit about what's actually driving that relationship between sleep and those outcomes for our health. And it seems like there are multiple mechanisms and also that we just don't have all of the answers yet. So I'm not going to try and get too sciencey about it all, but I do think that it's important to be aware of some general concepts. So the first thing to consider is our biological clock or our circadian rhythm. And that is influenced usually by the sun rising and the sun setting. So we get some hormonal shifts, for example, melatonin being released in response to the sun setting, things getting darker and helping us to wind down for sleep. And our bodies really do not like being disrupted from this circadian rhythm. So we don't tend to handle nutrients very well, and in particular carbohydrates very well, if we're trying to eat overnight. And this might be relevant if you're somebody who considers themselves a night owl, or maybe you're a shift worker, like a nurse, and you do regularly need to be eating overnight. And it's not biologically normal for us, I suppose. And different people handle things differently, but it does seem that there's some interaction between melatonin and our pancreas so that melatonin inhibits the production of insulin, which means that we're releasing less insulin, which means that glucose is going to have a harder time getting out of our bloodstream and we're more likely to have higher blood sugar levels if we're eating outside of those biological clock hours. So if we're eating overnight... And it seems like our liver also has its own pattern of how it likes to put glucose out into the bloodstream, which is sort of separate from other external cues. And you might be familiar with the dawn phenomenon, which is where your blood sugar tends to rise in the morning as a result of, again, some hormonal shifts and your liver putting out more sugar into your bloodstream so that you can basically be like ready to go once the day gets started. So even if you were awake at that time, because again, let's say you're a shift worker, your liver may still go through with that process. So you have that working against you as well. And then there's the effect of poor sleep increasing things like cortisol in the body, which then in turn can stimulate more release of glucose into the bloodstream. And poor sleep can also raise inflammatory markers, which can contribute to insulin resistance. And poor sleep can also disrupt some of our typical hunger and fullness cues. So, for example, we might produce less leptin, which is our fullness hormone, and we get more ghrelin, which is our hunger hormone. So that might lead us to eat more food and in particular be craving those foods that are going to be really high in carbohydrate and saturated fat, most likely, because our bodies are smart. And when they're tired, they're looking for a quick burst of energy and processed sugary fatty foods are such a perfect way for it to get that quick energy. Obviously not ideal for our blood sugar or our overall health, but our brain's kind of trying to get us the energy that we need in the quickest way possible. 
So there's all sorts of things going on that can be working against you if you're not getting good sleep. And if you didn't really understand every single concept that I just talked through, that's okay. The main thing to know is that if you're not getting enough sleep or you're not getting good quality sleep, then you're not likely to be handling nutrients as well. And that's going to impact your insulin resistance and blood sugar regulation and make everything a lot more challenging for you. And if we think about this like really practically, I can go back to what I was saying about how a lot of my clients are struggling at the moment. And I've got this one client in particular where we can see a direct relationship between whether she's had a good night's sleep or not. Like her fasting level will often be high if she hasn't had a good night's sleep. And if it's been a really particularly bad night's sleep, then her blood sugar levels the whole next day will be really thrown off. And you might notice that pattern within yourself as well. You might have a day where everything is just skyrocketing and you're like, what is going on? Like I'm eating all of the same things that I usually would. I'm doing everything I normally would do. I'm exercising. I'm doing everything I can. Like, what am I doing wrong? Um, And it's not you. It could just be as simple as the fact that you got a poor night's sleep. And so that means that you're just having an off day and you've got those circulating stress hormones and everything is just off. So what can you do? Well, I've got a few tips for you and I really hope that some of these help you. Now, they might not all help, so just take what you need and please, again, keep in mind that there are some things that are outside of your control. So don't be beating yourself up if you feel like you're doing everything, you've tried everything and your sleep is still a real challenge. But let's talk through them. One of the best things that you can do is try and go to bed at the same time every night and wake up at the same time every morning, even on weekends. I know it can be really tempting to sleep in, but the best thing that you can do is give your body consistency. It loves routine. So really try and stay in a solid morning and nighttime routine. And ideally, don't be a night owl if you can, (laughs) because our body really loves being exposed to that bright morning light and also that nighttime darkness. So if you can, in the early morning, try and get outside, get some sunlight on your face, obviously be sun smart as well. But if you can get outside into that sunlight so that you can stimulate those hormones and tell your body that it's daytime. And then similarly at nighttime, make sure you're shutting out some of those really bright lights and use things like dim lights and night mode on your phone so that you can keep things nice and dark and stimulate the production of melatonin, which is our sleepy hormone. Hormone and signals to us that it is nighttime and that we need to be going to sleep. And especially keep your bedroom nice and dark so that it's all nice and conducive to you going to sleep easily. Avoid napping in the afternoon or evening as this might keep you awake at night and try not to nap for a really long time either. So if you are going to have a nap, please try and keep it to let's say like an hour or less because if you're sleeping for a really long time during the day, then obviously it's going to make it a lot harder to sleep at night. If you are an exerciser, then ideally do your exercise at the same time every day. And if you do things that are particularly strenuous, try not to do those in the afternoon or the evening. Now, you're probably okay doing things like a walk if that's nice and gentle, especially if it does help with your post-meal blood sugar levels. But if it's anything that is really getting your heart rate up or like, you know, quite heavy or something like that, then please do that in the morning. Avoid caffeine and it should go without saying also avoid alcohol and nicotine in the afternoon or evening. I really hope that you're not having alcohol or nicotine regardless whilst you're pregnant, but caffeine is one that some people still do choose to have whilst pregnant. So please, please keep that only to the morning and to very minimal amounts. 
Next one is don't go to bed on a full stomach. And this is probably something that you're already on top of, given that you are most likely testing your blood sugar two hours after you've eaten your dinner. So you're probably already sitting up and awake, which is a good thing to be doing after you've eaten. But if you're having a bedtime snack, then try not to have anything too heavy. Because if you're having a heavy meal or a heavy snack and then you're lying down, then you're more likely to experience things like heartburn and reflux, which may already be an issue for you in pregnancy. So if you are having something before bed, try and make it light and give yourself a little bit of time before you go and lie down. Don't drink too much before you go to bed either. So it's definitely important to make sure that you are drinking enough water throughout the day to help with your blood sugar levels. But it's probably smart to start tapering your intake off a little bit in the evening and at night. Now, I say this cautiously because I don't want you to completely fluid restrict or anything to avoid needing to pee at night. And let's be honest, you're most likely going to need to pee anyway. So I want you to stay really nice and hydrated to make sure your blood sugar levels are looking good. But um, if you are finding you need to pee all the time, especially if you're drinking quite a lot at night, then it might be helpful just to be tapering things off a bit. Now, take time to relax before bed every single night. And I know this is so much easier said than done. I think we all know that this is something that we're meant to be doing and we don't always do it. But try and get rid of the screens, ideally about an hour before bed and ideally also put them away so that they're not like nearby you in the bedroom. And as I said before, the light from those devices can really disrupt your circadian rhythm and your body's cues about whether it's nighttime or not. So really try and minimize screens and have a nice wind down routine. So choose some things that might work for you. And that's different for everybody, but it might be something like reading a book. Ideally, not a page turner because you want something kind of boring that does like send you drifting off and you don't want to be like compelled to keep on reading. And same if it's TV or something that you like to use to wind down. And I know that that might help with some people, but it's not ideal given that it's a screen. But if it's something sort of boring, then it might be helpful. There are also sleep podcasts and sleep meditations, which can really help. And of course, something like a stretching yoga flow could relax your body or even journaling, especially if you've got quite a busy mind. Um, It can really help to just write things down and get them out of your brain and onto the paper so that you don't have to like keep wearing through them, especially if it's something like a to-do list, just write them down so that you can just empty your mind and be able to properly relax. Having a bath or a shower before bed can also really help because raising your core temperature and then cooling it down again can help facilitate that sleepiness. And similarly, keeping your bedroom nice and quiet and dark and cold can be really beneficial. And give yourself about 20 minutes to fall asleep. If you find that you're still awake and not tired and you're feeling quite wired, then it might actually be useful to get up, go and do something relaxing again. So pick up that book or whatever it is and try to get yourself back into that sleepy state. But don't just stay feeling anxious and stressed in bed because you don't want to set up a negative association with bedtime and your bedroom. And same if you're waking up overnight and you're finding it really hard to get back to sleep, then it might actually be more beneficial to get out of bed, go and do something that's going to wind you down again, and then try to get yourself back into the sleepy state before heading back into bed, rather than just becoming really anxious about being in your bedroom or in your bed trying to get to sleep and knowing that it's going to be a hard time. Something else that might help is proactively managing your stress. 
So don't leave it just to that wind down routine every day to get your stress out all at once. It's probably not going to work that way. So have some things incorporated into your day-to-day to help reduce stress. And again, that looks different to everybody, but it might be things like going for a walk, listening to a podcast, talking with somebody, venting it all out. I don't know, but make sure that you know what your self-care activities are and integrate them daily because proactively managing your stress is going to be the most beneficial thing you can do to calm down a busy mind that is preventing you from getting to sleep. And it goes without saying that you should be eating well. If you're not eating well, then it may have a negative effect on your sleep. And there are actually certain things that you can do in terms of your diet as well that may improve sleep outcomes, which is pretty cool. So for example, consuming foods that are high in tryptophan, which is an amino acid. And so that's generally going to be found in foods that are high in protein. So in particular, things like turkey, chicken, eggs, seafood, that sort of thing. Uh, Then there are foods that are high in melatonin. And in particular, tart cherry juice is something to highlight here because there is actually some solid evidence behind this to improve sleep outcomes. So you can actually buy it in concentrated form. You do need to bear in mind that it may or may not work for your blood sugar levels because generally juice is going to be a high GI carbohydrate. But if you wanted to try it, it's an option. And then there are some other foods that are high in melatonin. So things like pistachios and oats. Um, Magnesium is something else that might be helpful. Ideally, I would encourage you to go for whole foods. So things like whole grains, leafy greens, other fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, that sort of thing, rather than jumping to a supplement straight away, because it's actually something that we can find in abundance in our diet. And then other foods that are high in antioxidants and phytonutrients. So tart jerry juice comes back into that um, basket. And then also things like kiwi fruit have got some evidence behind them to help improve sleep outcomes too. So there's a little bit you can do in terms of your diet. I wouldn't say that it's a silver bullet cure-all. We don't have strong evidence behind a lot of these things. But it is worth considering that your overall diet being of high quality can be beneficial for your sleep. And the other thing to note is that consuming carbohydrates has also actually been associated with improved sleep outcomes too. So keep that in mind. And finally, very importantly, go and speak to somebody. So go and see a doctor if this is something that just seems like it's been going on for ever and nothing that you're doing in terms of your lifestyle is helping, then please don't feel like you can't reach out. There are people out there to help with this kind of thing. So go and talk to your doctor and have a chat about what's going on and see what options they have. They might be things like supplements or medication that you can look into and maybe you just need to use those things to get you into an effective routine. Um, They might have some other lifestyle solutions that I haven't mentioned here. Or if you've got symptoms of things like restless legs, then also talk to your doctor about that because that might be keeping you up quite a lot, but it could actually be a sign of something like a nutrient deficiency, which is relatively easily fixable when you talk to your doctor, get that diagnosed and then have a clear management strategy. So please don't wait until it's too late and you're at your wits end before you reach out for support for something like this, because it's so important, as I've talked about at length, that your sleep has a huge impact on your blood sugar regulation, your outcomes with gestational diabetes and pregnancy. So please take it seriously. And I really hope that some of these strategies help you out. But that's everything from me today. Um, As always, if you liked this episode, then I always appreciate hearing from you. And I should also note that I do have some space available for more coaching clients at the moment. 
So I offer six-week coaching for women with gestational diabetes, or if you've already had your baby, I also love working with postpartum women around nutrition and body composition goals. So if you're finding that just thinking about what to eat is just a mental battleground and it's just really causing you a lot of stress and anxiety at the moment, and especially if your blood sugar levels aren't looking great, then feel free to outsource. Let me be your brain and just take care of all of the nutrition stuff so that you can ideally enjoy your pregnancy a little bit more and feel much more in control of things, feel more confident about what you're eating, be able to socialize and enjoy food again. I would love to work with you. So the best way to get in touch is to reach out on Instagram. I am at nutrition.by.helena or you can send me an email at hello at nutritionbyhelena.com. That's it from me. We'll speak soon. Bye. That is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't already, please make sure that you subscribe or hit the plus button so that you can get new episodes delivered straight to your podcast app every week. And if you did find this episode useful, I would appreciate it so, so much if you could leave a rating and review or share it with a friend. It helps me reach more people so that I can help them take some of the stress out of gestational diabetes too. And if you want to keep learning about all things gestational diabetes, head to my website to find all the ways that I can support you. Thanks so much. Chat soon. Bye.